Welcome to the Community Podcast, brought to you by the Community Paper. Since 1989, the Community Paper has been sharing good news happening in downtown Orlando and College Park. Your hosts for the show are Orlando native and the paper's publisher, Debbie Gunter, and Orlando transplant and managing editor, Tommy Cardinal. Welcome back to the Community Podcast. I'm here with Debbie Gunter and Nick Jorgudio. Hey, Tommy. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Super excited about what we're going to get to talk about today. The April edition just hit newsstands and mailboxes, and there's so much great news happening in our communities. There is. We did a special podcast episode last time out, so we weren't really able to talk about the... uh, content in the April edition, but there's a lot of good news happening. Yeah. And if you missed that episode, I I suggest you go back and listen to it with Jude the Smelser from WMFE, the new general manager and president over there. They're just getting through their fund drive. So if you didn't get a chance to support them, consider doing that. But it was a great interview with uh, her and Tommy. So I really really enjoyed enjoyed getting to know about her. She seems like somebody you'd just love to go hang out and have a glass of wine with. She well, is it because really she, she's a I mean, wine yeah, expert? Yeah. That, she does but. like wine. Yeah. But <laughs> no, I, wine good. with anyone is good. So yeah. This but is true. One of the prettiest stories, I think, from a picture perspective, was the one you did, Tommy, about uh, the new Colonial Lanes. I love that, uh, the archway that they have. Yeah, I, I, I was lucky to be able to give an inside uh, view of it as it was under construction, and um, they're hoping to open in August. But it's been a whirlwind with Colonial Lanes. Originally, I, th- I think it closed in 2015 or somewhere around there. Somewhere yeah. around then. And there was thought that the whole thing was going to be demolished. And then it's gone through a couple owners. And they actually split the bowling alley in half, literally. Yeah, isn't it a storage unit part of it? Yeah, now? so they, and that's what they tore down mm-hmm. and okay. they built that. Yeah. Yeah, they put a storage unit where. A lot of the lanes was so they split the lot in half with for like the legal. Oh, yeah. okay. And then they actually tore the building in half too. Yeah. So it was thirty-two lanes. They tore it in half to sixteen lanes, and then a new owner came in and made an agreement with a fitness company who's going to use a portion of the building as a, a fitness studio. So, so is now it going to be wait 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 because okay. this sounds amazing. Is it going to be bowling fitness? Are you going to put on socks and go down the lane somehow? And that's going to be <laughs> that part would of the be, fitness I thing? think they got rid of the lanes, uh, but that would be interesting. That would be a good calf workout. Oh, yeah. If the lanes are still oh, oiled yeah. and all that. Yeah. yeah. Also very dangerous and very... Incredibly uh, dangerous. Insurance yeah. would be through the T- roof terrible. for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's not integrated. It's going to be... the So the D1 <laughs> fitness studio is on one side and okay. the... Primrose Restaurant and Bowling Club is on the other side. And that's going to include, so that's going to be eight lanes plus the restaurant and bar. Yeah, and also the second location of the Robinson Coffee Room. Yeah. So it'll have a, with it only being eight lanes, the new owners are really going for that restaurant aspect. So they brought on Nick Greco, the chef at Black Bean Deli, to curate a menu. And so it's going to be, it's not going to be the worst pizza you've ever had, like regular bowling alleys. Yeah. The $3 hamburger that, yeah. Yeah. That's is not a good. hockey puck. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love this idea. I went to um, Park City this 
this winter and went to a restaurant and hotel and it had a small bowling section. Yeah. And so you could hang out while you were waiting your turn and you're having drinks and food and you're watching other people bowl and then you switch it up and it was super popular. This is going to be too, I think. I think so. It's, I don't, I think the lanes are always going to be used. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a competition to get them. They said they're going to do a time limit so people don't just hog them all day, but so probably reservations and stuff like that. Yeah, I could see that. The very popular part of the bowling alley was the sunken bar Mm -hmm. when it was open. So they're keeping that. They heard from the community how much that was important to them. And they eliminated the wall that separated the bar from the alley, the lanes. So you can actually see people bowling while you're sitting at the bar. And another really cool thing is how many things they're reusing. So with the elimination of 24 lanes, the company working on it was like, we need to use all this stuff. Oh, the wood from the, the lane. Wood from the, the lanes, the, yeah, the machinery, the, the pin pens. setters, yeah. the ball hoppers. They're using like everything that they possibly can. They're using you you know those things that put the pins down on the alleys. Yeah. They're using that as light fixtures that's so they're cool. using the the i don't know what all the, all these things have weird names that i sure, have no idea sure. what they are but where you put the score in or your name where oh, the score yeah. mm-hmm. shows up they're reusing that the the stand board things yeah they're using those for like the table oh that's gonna be bases great. That's and, so cool. and yeah the the cover picture was there they made a giant archway yep entering into the lanes made of bowling uh, pins, pins. Well, framed with bowling pins, yeah. with lighting, and it, it's very uh, Instagrammable. Instagrammable for sure. I love these guys. They're really making their mark or leaving their mark in downtown, and they don't just—they're not like typical developers that just go do what they want to do. They really care about mm-hmm. preserving the history of the community and you know what people want. Yeah. So, so it's, it's team team market group is the name of the nice people who who purchased it and they're they're behind other things such as the Robinson obviously because mm-hmm. they're going to be opening the second branch and have you ever been to Antiques Lamp Supply? No. It's a bar downtown that has literally thousands of lamps. Antique lamps, new lamps. It's Every single part of the wall has a lamp on it. And it's are a, they for sale? The lamps are for sale. Get out. You can buy the lamp oh if you gosh. want. Some of them are very expensive. But like it's like they, they do these unique things that aren't like other places. Yeah. So that is so cool. Yeah. So they're and the what else do they do? The Mathers social gathering, that's yep. a very popular place. And the Well Wellborn. The Wellburn mm-hmm. in South Downtown. So So let me ask you this. Do you guys actually like to bowl? Because I'm curious because I'm like, I'm going to go for the coffee. I'm going to go for the bar. I'm going to go for the food. If I don't get to bowl, I'm okay with that. I have PTSD from bowling alleys. When I was growing up, (laughs) my mom was on a bowling league. And so she would drag my brother and sister and I to the bowling alley. And we would have to wait and wait for her to play (sighs) this these tournaments and everything. So we're just running around the bowling alley well, and they playing have video games. Yeah. And yeah, but it was just so long. I was like, I just want to go home. So um, but no, I, I spent a lot of time growing up in bowling alleys. So, so normally this, the conclusion to that story would be, and then I became an expert at bowling yeah, and no. went on tour. And, but no, not for I you. I just have bad, bad feelings. But I will say doing it in like little short bits, that yeah. would be fun, you know. Not- I do. I do enjoy it. Like when I go bowling, I'm inspired afterwards. I'm like, 
oh, I can get better. At you know, I rolled 120. Yeah. I can get better at this if I just play three times a week. I'm the opposite where, where I'm really competitive. And if I like get two strikes in a row and then miss the third, I'll get like really like upset and be like, gosh, man, I was so close. And then it, it sort of frustrates me that it, it seems like such a simple thing, but I yeah. can't get a 300. I know. Like it's hard. But I, I love bowling alleys, though. Do but, you? Um, yeah, I like the ones that have karaoke. Ever been to Alamo? No. But yeah, the Alamo. Bowling, Where's that? Uh, Aloma. You mean Aloma? Uh, sorry. <laughs> Wait, isn't the Alamo the Austin, Texas yeah. place? That, yeah. I mean, oh, it is not in Tommy, Austin, Texas. Tommy, it Tommy. is San Antonio. But yeah, uh, whoops. I don't know anything. <laughs> I love Tommy's mispronunciations of. All of these different places in Orlando. I must have dyslexia, but only only with words. Florida. With Florida and streets. Local (laughs) things, yeah. Yeah. It's endearing. Anywho, these guys are great, and they're doing um, some other new stuff around, too, right in the Mills 50 area? Yeah, they've got another thing coming on on Mills, the first, or not the first, but it's a vegetarian place, which is, I think, filling a void ever since dandelion left yeah i think people have been craving a vegetarian specific place there's there's definitely options downtown but not really at the mills 50 area mm-hmm. well and what's nice about a, a place that's all vegetarian is you know that everything nothing has really touched anything that is meat or animal related yeah there are some diehard vegetarians that are like yeah. i don't want anything touching like cow milk or anything yep. so i think it'll be great and, and what's the name of the place it's called Planties, P-L-A-N-T-E-E-S. So these guys are known for doing funky, funky things with their, you know, restaurants and businesses. Are they going to do anything interesting or different with Planties that you know of? I mean, it's an interesting location for sure. Mm-hmm. It's going to be on the side of Will's Pub and Lil Indies. And so I think that's going to be neat. And then I think for the most part, it's going to be a little bit of an open. I, I've seen some of the plans but it's not like going to be a full restaurant, sit down inside. It looks like it's going to have a lot of outdoor seating. Yeah, oh, it's, good. Yeah, it's a lot of outdoor seating. Yeah. But they're specializing in their impossible burgers yep. with, that they season themselves and everything. But yeah, I think it'll be, a, Neat. I think it'll fill a void in the Mills yeah. 50. And it's right there night. next to Little Indies where, yeah, the where that was was an outdoor seating place for little indies and then it used to be called dirty laundry but that was before i lived here i'd never been there before yeah so i think it's a i mean right next to will's pub they'll definitely get business Mm -hmm. a little late night vegetarian Mm -hmm. spot yeah oh it's gonna do great so yeah vegetarianism i think has become very popular through through recent years and another thing that's become more popular i think is the non-alcoholic drink industry yeah. As far as businesses opening being specifically a non-alcoholic drink place. So not just a bar offering, you know, the usual thing used to be you would order a ginger ale or a, a tonic water mm-hmm. if you wanted to hang out with people that were drinking. But these are specific places that you can go to and get uh, like something that's mixed in, a, in an interesting way, yeah. but is non-alcoholic. I love that. We wrote about um, a new a new place like that opening in Ivanhoe back in the March edition called Bandbox. And when I first saw it, I, I was like taken aback because yeah. I'd never heard of anything like that before. But then I started thinking about, I, I do know a lot of people who've really, either they don't drink at all anymore or they, you know, young people who just simply don't drink 
a lot or ever. So maybe it maybe it is a popular thing. It's interesting. I went to one up in Jacksonville. I was waiting for my daughter to get out of a concert and we were going to drive back to Orlando. So it was a little bit later at night and I'm like, I don't want to have a drink. Right. So I found this place that just offered non-alcoholic drinks. And it was really interesting because it was still a lot of mixology to it. There were still a lot of things going on where he was, the bartender was muddling things and mm, putting different flavors neat. together. And so you could have something that was like a tequila sunrise that was non-alcoholic. You could have something like a gin fizz or something along those lines where you could make something else for you. Mm. Um, and so a lot of fresh syrups, a lot of interesting flavors, um, a lot of house-made stuff. It was really fun, and I got to hang out there for a couple hours, got to see it get busy, and it felt like a bar. Like, it got busier the later it got, and people were sitting and hanging out. They would talk to the people they came with. They would talk to the rest of the groups or other people that were there. It was really nice. Going to a bar is a really social experience, and I think this gives an option for people to go out and be social Mm -hmm. without drinking. And I I wonder, I, I bet it's a really good business model, because if you look at, like, a... A cocktail, most of the price comes from the alcohol or the liquor. Mm-hmm. So they probably charge. Do you know how much they charge for a drink uh, there? It was still because of everything that went into it. They also had, um, it was around the same price, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit cheaper. Um, but they also had, well, I thought this was really interesting uh, alcohol replacement uh, mm. items. So mm. things that would taste like tequila or that would give the drink a tequila flavor. Oh, so they're still putting a liquor substitute in it. So yeah. it's, it's wow. not like a tequila sunrise is just orange juice. or Correct, and okay. then whatever That's else so goes into it. Yeah. So I don't know if Bandbox is going to do the same thing, but I, that was the thing that I saw up in Jacksonville, and I thought that was interesting. Well, hey, and I bet their insurance is a lot cheaper. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they don't have to pay those fees, the licenses or whatever. Well, I can't wait to check out Bandbox, and um, I read that they're going to be they're going to host artists, local artists and, you know, different events and things event. like that. Yeah. But, yeah. So people can kind of, it's yeah. not just going to be to go sit in a bar. You'll be able to experience some art and that sort of thing. So it should be pretty cool. Nice. And they're supposed to open in June. I think the end of June is what okay. they were shooting for, but with self opening, hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, Hey, we're going to jump into a commercial when we come back. Tommy's going to give us the latest update from city council. If you need a little pick-me-up, a little more pep in your step, go to your podcast provider and subscribe to Your Daily Dose with Bob and Nick. Your Daily Dose with Bob and Nick comes out every weekday, five times a week, and every episode is less than 10 minutes. Perfect for your ride to work, or from work, or near work. Now back to the show. And we're back. Uh, Tommy, one of the things I always look forward to in the paper and just in general is you going out to city council because I think that's such an important element of local journalism is to make sure that, you know, people are informed about what's going on and the people who are making the decision know that they're being watched. So I like that you're going out there and serving that purpose. I bet they're really intimidated by me. They I, see me in the- I would imagine they're like, <laughs> we better keep everything on the up and up. Uh, yeah. Tommy Cardinal is here. Uh oh. Um, so, I enjoy, I, the, actually this past meeting was the first time in a long time I've went to city council in person. Oh, okay. I've been watching them online and calling commissioners after, but, uh, I enjoyed going to the April 4th meeting, but it's been a, it's been a while since we talked about city council on the podcast. I realized we also didn't talk about the March 14th meeting. Mm-hmm. So there's 
two meetings to run down, but uh, at the March 14th, the big news was uh, a 13-story building was approved, and it's phase two of a bigger project, but uh, it's on e- Eolan Church, so it's a apartment complex, and they're... Oh, okay. they're uh, What's unique about it is, and we're, I'm going to write more about this later, but they're very small square footage, mm-hmm. so it it gives more units per space. I don't think it's efficiency. Okay. It, it might be micro units or something like that, or but it's small square footage, so mm-hmm. it's more apartments in a in the same area. So, but there's retail on the bottom, so it's a mixed use and. And they probably have like some workspaces within the building or whatever. Probably, for people. yeah. But yeah, huh. it's I don't remember how many units it is, but it, that's all online. But it's phase two of there. There's another property that opened in 2008, which is right across the street. So okay. it's the same developers, and so they're going to be apartments or condominiums. They're going to be apartments. Okay. So the the phase phase one was condominiums. Gotcha. One o one o one Eola condominiums is mm-hmm. what they're called, and phase two is. There's still a, a couple of hoops to jump through. I think it has to go through a parents' review board, but city approved the municipal planning board agenda. And are they going to be market rate apartments? That well, you, I, they're tiny, so hopefully a little below market rate. Because apartment rents are really high in Orlando. Yeah, they are. So I, I think that these maybe more affordable since the maybe size affordable is small. like yeah. as far as per square mm-hmm. footage. So hope so. Yeah, and. Another th- speaking of housing and the housing crisis, uh, is it a crisis? Yeah, I would call it a crisis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so they also approved uh, an affordable housing incentive program at that meeting, where developers are given either a fifty percent rebate or a one hundred percent rebate on certain permit fees mm-hmm. if a certain percentage of units are deemed affordable. So. That's not market rate. That's affordable. So yeah. I think 20, 20 to 59%, you get 50% rebate on your permit. And more 60 or 60% over. or above, you don't have to pay the permit fees. I'm not sure if it's all the permit fees, but it's certain permit fees for it. So it definitely gives a break to the developers. And hopefully it'll bring, it'll bring more affordable housing. Yeah, because the only way to really, well, one of the ways to get the developers to think about affordable housing is to make it worth their while. Yep. Yeah, because the land prices are so high and, Mm -hmm. you know, construction costs are so high, so they have to get something. And this incentive program is even for buildings that were built in the past few years. Oh, really? That they can Uh, get retroactive permit fees. That's nice. Good. Not that that'll bring more affordable housing, but... It'll be good for the developers. Still rewards them and maybe incentivizes them in the future. Yeah. And I think, I mean, rent's going up, supply and demand. The more affordable housing units, the cheaper rent will be, hopefully, or at least it'll stabilize. Mm -hmm. So I sure hope so. And so that was from the March 14th. Those were the two big things at the March meeting. But the one I went to this Monday, they... The city placed second in a competition, uh, and it was about the Paramore Kids Zone, mm-hmm. their beekeeping program. So they came in second place. The we city had the second of, best bees. I, it wasn't just. It was about childhood obesity. Okay. So it was like having these kids uh, 
do the the beekeeping program is a healthy you know local honey is good for you and everything yeah. and so they came in second and got a fifty thousand dollar grant so that orlando was second in the large city category the oh, winner nice. i think got a hundred thousand or something like that but the fifty thousand dollars is going to be used uh put back into the paramore kid zone so they're installing a hydroponic facility and some of these funds will be used to install solar arrays at the hydroponic facility and then the food that's grown at that facility will be given out to paramore residents nice that's so great and that i mean that's not all they're they're gonna install more community gardens there's a few community gardens and the city has land where they want to put more so they're going to be using those funds for many different things and giving out free trees and education said uh, sessions about solar energy and sustainable gardening. So I love that. Great. It's such a great program down there. Oh yeah. The, uh, and the Paramore kids Zone that honey they grow, they have a, they have a, what do you call it? The honey beekeeper, the, the cones. Yeah, but they're, they're <laughs> aviary, apiary, apiary, apiary. Yeah. apiary. Yeah. They have one on the fire station, the central fire station. Oh, do station. they really? Yeah. yeah. Huh. Remember we toured it, but we didn't see the beekeeper. It wasn't there. But, I don't yeah. think it was there yet. But um, yeah, we wrote about wrote about that earlier. That's a Paramore Kids Zone thing, and it's so yeah, great. They, I think it's a great program. So it's cool that they were recognized for it, and they're putting that money back into the Paramore community. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another thing that happened at the. Most recent one is the city passed a resolution stating their support for the Orange County Transportation Initiative, which mm-hmm. is that penny sales tax they're trying to push for the November ballot. And so I, seeing that resolution, I was like, oh, let me tune into the county commissioner meeting, which I don't do too often. But So the city said, yes, we approve this. That's the resolution that they passed. I mean, the city doesn't have Or not any... approve it, but we think We're this is board. a good idea. Yeah, the yeah. city basically... So the resolution is just a fancy way of saying... Signing This is what something. we think about one thing or yeah. another. So yeah. the resolution was saying... I mean, if Orange County wanted to go through with this, we are supportive of it. Yeah, saying we support Orange County's plan for the transportation tax. And the resolution's long and has a bunch of reasons why they support it, talking about the housing shortage and how transportation could help that and all all the reasons why transportation can improve in Orlando and then saying we approve it. So, So then I tuned into the county commissioner's meeting the following day, which is when they determined there was talk about it maybe being a half penny versus a penny yep and there were there was also talk about how long it's going to be so after the after the county commissioner meeting they determined it would be a one cent tax for 20 years and the projections on the county's website say that could bring 600 million dollars per year Hmm. yeah and i i'm not i don't know how much trains cost or anything but that sounds like it could definitely improve. It could cover some projects. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see and what that's they every come year. up with. So it's yeah. 600 million every year for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it could definitely help. So now it goes on to the ballot. Well, there's there's still some steps to take. Okay. So the county commission hasn't approved that they want to put this on the ballot yet. So that's going to happen at the next meeting. This one was just 
they're still working out the details. There were three workshop sessions. This was the third workshop session. So now they know what the resolution is going to be. They have a 1,200-page report on all the things that, like a study on the transportation in Florida and ways we can improve. And so they don't, they're not saying we're going to do this and this and this, but they're saying this is some things we could do with the funds. And I think it'll be uh, more fleshed out towards the November ballot. But yeah, so they need to approve it still, but. I hope it has whatever they if if it passes and whatever they come up with. I hope it has an impact on the city because I I feel like so much of what they talk about impacts you know the tourism industry and like getting people to the airport and all. And when you drive, even with the I four ultimate um, right now, you know you'll go through downtown and it is just gridlock and there's like four cars in the I four ultimate. Even if you're in a big hurry, there's nowhere to get on it. Yeah in downtown you know mm. if you're heading west yeah you have to plan out you beforehand. have to, to say okay back when i'm in deland or wherever or i guess maitland i'm gonna have to jump on here in case it's really crowded downtown yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's lee road lee road is where you have to okay thanks yeah. but it's it's frustrating yeah. if you work downtown and you want to go home east or west or well the idea is that we we need to not all be driving so Sunrail expansion is being looked it's at. It's on the table, yeah. They're looking at an east to west expansion. So right now, nor- uh, it just goes north and south. And it's good if you are just happen to be living near that train track. But if you're living in Dr. Phillips or wanting to go to UCF or that area, there's no yeah. option for public transportation, really, yeah. other than Lynx. But Lynx is every 30 minutes, and the mm-hmm. bus stops are... And there's not enough express. There's not routes. enough. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely room for improvement. And yeah. um, well, good. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be more details further on, but I hope that they approve it. We'll see. So we've talked about city government. We've talked about county government. Nick, you wrote something about state redistricting. We might as well go there now. Yeah, let's talk about it because there's a lot of redistricting talk. So just for a quick recap, when the census happens, everyone takes a look at how the population has changed. Let's start with the federal level. Um, We always have two senators from the state of Florida, two senators from every state, but the number of U.S. representatives that we have might change. So they were expecting Florida to grow enough that we might get two new ones. We only got one. And so we went from 27 representatives, and this is like Stephanie Murphy, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, to 28. So what happens in that, they can't just add one randomly, like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, because they're already bordered. Right. So they have to take up and look at the map. And what happened with that was the state legislature ultimately approves it, and that can go to the courts to be further stamp of approval in case there's any challenges. Uh, The governor has said that he doesn't approve of the map, so he's called for a special legislative session. So people like Anna Anna Eskamani will be taking a look at that again, even though the map was already drawn and approved by the state legislature. So that's now this is the federal level. So this is that's the U.S. state, the U.S. uh, uh, House House of Representatives. Yep. Okay. And twenty-seven to twenty-eight. So with the city, they do it by making sure that each uh, each. District. District has the same amount of 
residents. Yeah, what they want to do is... But there's obviously political dealings and trying to gerrymander or whatever, but... Gerrymandering isn't as much on the the city level, Mm -hmm. right? Because all you're looking at there is some of the natural borders like 436 Mm -hmm. or I-4 and also where the populations are. But at the federal level, are they... Is the idea that each district has the same amount of residents it's either so it's not can't always be residents because once you're talking about then you know potentially you would have a downtown district in orlando that would be uh you know five miles by five miles and have as much people in it as uh you know a 200 mile wide swath across ocala Hmm. so it's not quite the number of people it's going to be more like a sampling of the population i see to try to make it that way and then of course that's where you mentioned gerrymandering earlier that's where we get into gerrymandering especially on the federal level um where we start cutting things up okay and then on the state level you recently wrote about how i learned a lot I bet you did. <laughs> Please and, share. And Anna Eskamani was very helpful in all this as well. I talked to her for about 45 minutes, which I'm always thankful to talk to Anna Eskamani for any amount of time because she has so much. She's just like a, the Energizer Bunny mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. So the state of Florida always has 120 representatives and 40 state senators. So the legislature is kind of made up the same way that the U.S. Uh, legislature is, mm-hmm. the U.S. Um, Congress is. And so what happens is, even though it's always 120 and 40, those districts change every 10 years. So it is consistent with its representation. So, for example, like if you look at the before and after for all the districts around Orlando, it's changed pretty significantly. Like all of the numbers shifted downward a little bit because a lot of the population here changed and a lot of the population in South Florida changed. Mm. So uh, to represent those areas, you have to be living in the district. So Mm -hmm. some people, if they want to continue representing a specific district or um, all of a sudden in, say, District 40 right now, we have two Democrats that have run in the past, Anna Eskamani and I can't remember the other person's name, but there was a potential chance that they would primary against each other. I don't think Mm -hmm. that's going to happen. So the other person might move or might just drop out of the race altogether. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens with all this when the redistricting happens. So the, the big news from the state redistricting, so this is for the state house of representatives is that college park was separated from downtown Orlando. Yeah. College park had for the last 10 years and maybe even before that had been part of the downtown district. What is now district 47 that on Eskimani represents is downtown college park, winter park. And I think some South downtown too. Yeah. So the new district is no longer number 47. Correct. So it's college parks district is now district 40. Yep. And that goes up to Maitland, right? That goes up to Maitland and then out west to Apopka. Okay. So it's more like if you look at it from an I-4 perspective, um, where College Park, and, and not not all of College most Park. Most of it. Yeah. So most of it is carved out by this. Um, almost like I-4 is a natural cutaway through it. Mm-hmm. And then, so that's District 40, and Anna Eskimani is not running for that one. She's going to run She's going to run the, for 42. Which is what downtown and... It's yep. sort of similar to it's what almost what it, yeah it's relatively identical to what she was representing before. minus most of college park yeah okay hmm. and then as far as the city goes they're still determining that uh so that they can figure out they're doing some public meetings 
Uh, so go to the city's website if you want to be part of those conversations. They're talking to people in different locales and trying to get some ideas of what they're looking for from their representation. Yeah, and they're doing workshops where they teach the residents how to use the maps or the map-making software. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks, Nick, for looking into that. Yeah. Anything else you want to know about it or if any of our readers or listeners have any questions, happy to answer them. Well, that's it for us today. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about these stories or, gosh, so many others, be sure to pick up your copy of the April edition of the Community Paper at, at many local businesses near you. If you would like to get it in the mail, you don't already, you can go to our website, yourcommunitypaper.com, and sign up for your very own subscription. It's $36 a year, and you will get the paper every month brought right to your house. And it helps support our cause Absolutely. of local journalism. Thanks, Tommy and Nick. We'll see you all very soon. Thank you for listening to the Community Podcast. Did you like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and tell your friends and family to do the same. Stay up to date on the latest news from the Community Paper by visiting yourcommunitypaper.com and follow them on social media. The show is produced by Nick Giorgudio. Learn more about starting your own podcast by visiting orlandopodcasting.com. Thank you, Debbie and Tommy. That was a great episode. Thank you, Nick I'll and see Debbie. You guys. That was a good episode. I'll see you guys soon. God, why, why am I so awkward? <laughs> I can't wait to see you again. Thank you, Debbie and can't Nick. can't wait to see you again. Yes. You did it. You didn't even mean to do that, did you? No.